Welcome to episode 66 of From the Shed M podcast with myself, T-Dot and Theo. How are you doing? Not bad. Uh, bloody warm, if I'm honest. <laughs> it's, I think, 33 <laughs> degrees down here in London. I struggled to sleep last night, twisting and turning and waking up all sweaty. So I'm looking forward to a nice cold drink um, later on this afternoon. Um, how are you doing? Yeah, not bad. I was in London yesterday. And um, I, don't know, I don't know how you cope on them tubes because I was on the, uh, I was on, I think it was like the Victoria line or something. It was just busy and there's literally nowhere, to, there's nowhere down there whatsoever. I don't know how you guys do it. So credit to anyone who lives in London, 33 degree heat. It feels like about 50 degrees down under, underground, but yeah, I'm good apart from that. Um, looking forward to Sunday, big game. But before we get into that, subscribe. You know, I'm going to say, guys, subscribe to the channel. It's growing slowly. Um, I've even added a little reminder in the corner. So if you haven't subscribed, there's a reminder for the next however long we're on this stream for subscribe to the channel. And also the, the social accounts as well on the left side or right side, whichever way it shows on your screen. But yeah, you can see the socials down at the bottom as well. And also Spotify. Don't forget to click the notification on there as well. So you won't miss another podcast episode. But let's go all the way back to last Saturday. Weird game, evening kickoff, um, 5.30, Everton. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, let's start with the positives because three points at Goodison Park is always positive. Uh, like I mentioned in the last episode, we hadn't had a victory there since April 2017 when Antonio Conte was in his first season. So it was, it's been a long time coming now. And it's always a tough away day for, for Chelsea when we, we play at Goodison Park. So no matter the scoreline, no matter the, who scored the winner, where it, how it came about, three points at Goodison Park is always positive, especially now that we've got that fixture out of the way because um, that fixture, you're always dreading it, especially if it comes around November, December time. There'll be injuries. It'll be a tricky away day. So I'm pleased in that aspect. I still think it was a very lacklustre performance, almost like how we stopped the season last last season. Um, a lot of those very average performances from players that I really expected to, to stand out, the likes of Mason Mount, the likes of Kai Havertz. I think Aspi was a bit, he didn't really, he's looked like a bit, a bit, a bit lacklustre as well. Chilwell as well. I think I'm WhatsApped you, he still doesn't look 100% fit. We, we said that that's going to take some time, possibly another four or five months. Um, more positive, actually, the, all the new signings I thought, I thought were superb. I thought Raheem Sterling looked really dynamic. He looked really um, lively. Every time he had the ball, he looked to dribble a player. He looked to create something, which is what we need. Um, same thing with Koulibaly. Very positive performance from him. A lot of blocks. Um, really, really positive. And uh, a new signing who came off the bench, Cucurella, I thought was fantastic. He looked really dynamic. All of his passes were forwards. He looked to drive the ball up the pitch. He rarely lost the ball as well. So I think he's definitely going to start on Sunday ahead of Chilwell, if I'm honest. Um, another player who got the winning goal, Jorginho, who divides our fan base a fair bit, I think. I thought he was very solid as well, actually. I think his statistics showed, I think he 86% of his passes completed. Um, he kind of dictated play from midfield. And I think compared to Kante, especially, he looked like the better of those two midfielders. So I think it was quite a positive performance from him. And he stopped with the little hop, skip and jump for the penalties now. He just slotted it in right in the corner. So I think even had Pickford died the, the right way, which he did actually in the Euro final against Jorginho, then I don't think he would have stopped that one. So that's another positive. But, um, but no, three points, first game of the season. That's always a good start. It was a difficult game, I felt, that we went into it with the expectation we were going to win. And I think 
rightfully so, because obviously we, we are the better team. We're better than Everton. That's just a given. But it's, a, it's been a tough ground, like you said, 2017. It's a long time to go without a win at a ground. It's always been the bogey grounds that, you know, it's a difficult, I think it's always difficult to to go into a season and a season opener against a team that you've not really had the best of joys at their ground. So I think to go there, get three points, it's definitely the positive, but there were some, you could tell it was the first game of the season, mm. 100%, because they were just, like you just mentioned, some of the plays you, you spoke about, you know, just didn't seem like a team that you just didn't see where the goal was going to come from. Yeah. And barred, barred the penalty, uh, maybe the Sterling offside goal, the Sterling chance, which was blocked by... Mikolenko. Uh, blocked it now. But yeah, 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 it was. And, um, you know, those were the kind of key chances. I don't really remember any other ones. Um, I think Kai Havertz might have had a, a decent header um, that was off target, but... It's early days, you know. I agree with you. I think you know, uh, Cucurella coming on was like, brilliant. You know, I thought he'd done exactly his passing accuracy was brilliant. Mm. Like you said, he his, his thought was to go forward as opposed to go back or sideways. Which, um, there was a couple of times when Raheem Sterling and Kai Havertz as well both made brilliant runs, you know, into a pocket of space. And not to single out Jorginho because it wasn't just him, but I'll, I'll say Jorginho because that's the one that's stuck in my head at the moment. but he was almost looking for a sideways pass, you know, looking for another pass that was going somewhere else. And I think we've got to get into that mindset now. Where we've got a player that wants to run into space, run off the last defender, mm-hmm. work, work the channels. And, and that's Raheem Sterling. He does that. He's done it for City for, for many, many years. Um, my worry is I don't want to see Raheem Sterling turn into a different player based on the way that we play. Rather him, we've signed him because of how he's played for Manchester City, I'd assume, or one of the reasons. So we've got to use that to our strengths, in my opinion. But... Um, I wanted to ask you about the, the the penalty because it was a stonewall penalty. Like you just mentioned mm-hmm. as well that he didn't do the hop and the skip. And Jorginho has defend, uh, divided the, the fan base, but I mean, he still has brilliant things that he brings to the team. You know, he still can take penalties. That's his first thing. You know, he's our penalty taker. But just in terms of his gameplay as well, what did you think of his overall performance and obviously the penalty as well? Do, do you agree that it was a pen? 100% a pen. I think it was, was it Decore, I think, who yeah. um, gave away the pen. I mean, just uh, with the kind of stride Chilwell was on, any kind of contact from the back, he would have gone down. And I think it was a, a tug on his shoulder, a little clip from the back. And I don't think even Decore had much to, to complain about. So that was definitely a penalty. Um, the technique of the penalty, uh, a lot more reassuring to see the little hop, skip and jump often. When it goes the right way, it fools the keeper. But when it doesn't, it's just an easy catch for the keeper. We saw it a few times last season. I think it was against um, it was against West Ham, wasn't it? Where it just didn't fool Fabianski at all. Um, so I think it's maybe he's kind of reflected on that in um, in the summer, and he, that's where his goals come from. Um, I think his last twenty goals for Chelsea, I think that's what a statistic like this have come from the penalty spot. And if my memory serves me right, his last goal from open play was against Arsenal at the Emirates, where we beat them two one with the Tammy winner. So um, it's been a long time and a lot of penalties in the meantime. Um, and his overall performance, like I said, I think he, he was the standout midfielder ahead of Kante, which is quite surprising usually because Kante is often very dominant, always intercepting the ball, always winning the ball, often kind of driving forwards. But Jorginho seemed a bit more a bit more calm on the ball, a bit more less kind of hectic or less kind of wanting to rush things, which Kante seemed to do at times and then often lose it straight after or give the ball away. I think Kante's passing on last Saturday was very, very poor. He, he often gave the ball away, which he really does. 
So now it was a really reassuring Jorginho performance. I still think there's maybe we'll get another season out of him, max or maybe two seasons. But um, if he can carry on at that level, then uh, I'm more than happy to, to have him as a starter for us. I mean, there's one, there's one big thing. I agree with everything you just said, mm. but it's one big thing that does worry me about Kante and Jorginho is they're both in their final years of their contracts, I think. So you do kind of wonder if we're going to lose one, which I think we will. There's, as far as I'm aware, there's been no talk of renewals. You know, there's been renewals with Mendy. Um, Mason Mount, I think, is another player that's been um, spoken about in terms of a new contract. But there's nothing about Jorginho, nothing about Kante. And you just think Jorginho potentially would be the one that we might lose. I think he's been the one that was linked, I think, to coming which Italian club. Might be Juventus or... Juventus, I think. I think it was Juventus. So, you know, you, you think more likely it would be him that goes. But one of the questions I wanted to ask you, um, sort of away from that, was during the Everton game, I think one of the first subs was um, Reese James went to left wing back and Ruben Loftus-Cheek went to right wing back and Kukurea was still on the bench and at the game, I mean, we were all trying to work out. I think at first, I think Reese James thought he was coming off, but he wasn't. He, he went mm. to, to the left side and I, I was trying to work out why you would leave a play that you've kind of forced through the deal. You, we rushed it through on a Friday trained with the team, took him to the game. Um, use your right-sided defender to play the left side when you've got a left-sided defender. Do you think it was just a tactical thing? Just It just seemed it just seemed weird, you know, to see... And I know Ruben Loftus-Cheek, his best position isn't on that right, right yeah. wing. It's more in that central midfield or, you know, defensive midfielder. I just feel... And even Raheem Sterling's come out, I think he had a press conference yesterday and said that he prefers to play on the left wing or on, on the wings, but Tuchel's playing him down the middle. Do you feel that Thomas Tuchel sometimes does get that tactically wrong in terms of um, playing certain players out of their positions or at their unnatural position? Yeah, I mean, obviously we'll never know what was said in the dressing room at halftime. Maybe it was, like you said, a tactically to target one of the Everton players who was a bit fatigued and maybe lost his cheek, could come at him with pace on that on that. Um, on that right-hand side. Um, and same with Sterling. I think Sky Sports showed the lineup with Sterling down the middle, Havertz on the le- on one of the wings, and then they actually ended up switching or vice versa. So I think it's purely tactically, but I do agree with you. I think players like Sterling have their natural positions, same with Loftus Cheek, same with Reese James. And especially when we've 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 signed Cucurella on the Friday and he's travelled to the squad, you'd bring him in bring him in earlier maybe to to play on that left hand side. But um but I think maybe it was tactically. I wouldn't. I'll, I can't really give an answer, but um, I much rather see players feel happy and more comfortable in those positions that they're asked to play. Mm, no, I agree. I agree. Final bit on Everton, Chelsea. Brozo mm. came on. Um, thought he played really well. Thought yeah. he looked like he fitted into the team. I mean, I think that the loan deal to Southampton's obviously helped him adapt and understand what the Premier League's all about. But he looked. He didn't look out of place at all. You know, he looked like he was willing to make the runs that he needed to do, take players on, hold the ball up as well. He'd done that really well. Um, potentially see him against Spurs on Sunday, do you reckon? Definitely. I think he even scored past Spurs, I think, last season. Um, my memory serves me right. And um, he looked very, very comfortable. He's only had one season in the Premier League, but he looks like he's been in the league for years. A very mature for his age as well, I feel. Um, same thing like we said about Gilmore. I always say how mature and composed they are on the ball. I think Broja is very similar in that aspect. And it was a very promising cameo performance. And with all the fixtures that we have this season, 
he's a player that we definitely need to keep hold of. Our only natural number nine. So I think we'll be seeing a lot more of him in the coming games and the uh, and the rest of the season. I agree. I hope so. I hope you're right. Mm-hmm. Let's let's move to let's move to the battle at the bridge. Um, we hate Tottenham. Um, big game. It's a massive game. It's a massive test, I think, for both clubs. I think going into this one because we obviously didn't play the best against Everton. Spurs battered Southampton, um, which was probably not the best opening game for them because it doesn't really tell you where they are in terms of the players players that they've brought in, but. You do have to look at the two teams based on the fact that we've got a brilliant record against, well, say we. Thomas Tuchel's got a brilliant record against um, Antonio Conte um, whilst he's been at Spurs. What do you think going into this game in terms of a lineup? Would you, what would you change? Um, obviously, we've been told today that Alonso won't be featuring due to his um, trying to push his deal through for Barca and Kovacic is out with a knee injury, which is the same injury that he keeps getting all the time. But what would you be your lineup be against Spurs on Sunday? I think actually it's gonna it would be a very similar lineup to um, to uh, to Everton and last Saturday. Uh, I'm glad that nothing was mentioned about Koulibaly and that slight injury that he seemed to have against Everton because yeah. he's going to be a really important starter for us. Uh, maybe alongside uh, Silver again, who for me was mad at the match against Everton. I forgot to mention that he was superb. I will be always lost for words with his performances, but he was brilliant. And maybe again play him again alongside an Aspi or this time maybe a Chiloba or play a Reese James as a one of the centre backs and maybe experiment with Loftus Cheek or and Cucurella as the wing backs. I'm not too sure. But I think I'd play a very similar lineup to um to uh to the Everton game with Jorginho and Kante in midfield and a front three of Havertz, Mount and um and Sterling. Um like we've got five subs, we've got brilliant depth. We saw that when we could bring players off the bench, the likes of Pulisic, the likes of Loftus-Cheek, the likes of Cucurella, those players. Um, Ziyech hasn't featured yet, but he's another player um, who could play a part as well. So, but I do think it's going to be a very similar lineup. In terms of Spurs, they've strengthened a lot this season. Conte's had his first preseason. He seemed to really kill the players almost in South Korea. We saw that video of them looking absolutely drained when they had to do their <laughs> deep test or their shuttle runs. So I think um, they'll be fit. They'll be up for this game. Um, Tuchel won every single game he's played against um, against Spurs and he's never conceded a goal, I think, since he's been Chelsea manager against Spurs. So, um, But I think it's going to be a different looking Spurs side this, um, on Sunday. I think they will score. Um, but yeah, in terms of lineup, like you asked, I think it's going to be a similar one. Uh, I've got a different opinion. Mm. And I was thinking this this morning. So I was thinking... Against Spurs, I don't remember. If, I, I think very. I think maybe at the seven games or six games, wherever it's been under Thomas Tuchel, I can't remember how many games he's played a back five against Spurs, and I think he's going to go to a back four tomorrow or Sunday, not tomorrow. I think he's going to go to a back four. I think he. I think if in the Carabao Cups it was a four-two-two-two or something yeah. along those lines, it was very weird and saw left back, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was. One of them, I can't remember which leg that yeah. might be the second leg, but um, and even in one of the league games, we played a four at the back, three midfields, and then three going forwards. And I, I and one of the questions that was asked of Thomas Tuchel today was, What's the gift, or what's the, how, how do you keep Kane and Son quiet? And you know, he gave a little chuckle, but I think that is the that is the secret you don't play five at the back, you play four, you get an extra body in midfield, and I think that's the only way we win that game on Sundays. If we, I mean, I, ideally for me. 
I'd have Koulibaly Thiago Silva as my centre back. So I'd have Kukurel as my left back. I'd have Reese James as my right back. I'd, I'd, if I was going to do the two-two-two, I'd have Kante, Jorginho, uh, probably Gallagher, Mount, and Sterling and Havertz up front. That would be my. That's, yeah. That, I was going to say that formation is where Hakim Ziyech excels in, doesn't he? When he, he it, kind it of play on that yeah. right-hand side and cut in on his left foot. And that's where I think he even scored in, when he played in that formation, um, that curler in a 2-0 victory um, last season. But uh, no, that's a very valid point, actually. Um, and as that back four you mentioned, I'd have a lot of faith in them. Uh, so it's, it's, it'll be interesting, I do think, if we play a back five or a, or a back four, I think. We've got the quality in defence, especially our centre-backs. I think Koulibaly, like I said, was fantastic against Everton and, and he will learn so much from playing. Yeah, you know, how big he was. He's a big lad. He's a big lad. Definitely yeah. is. Um, so, yeah, I think um, now it could very well be a back back four. It's true. Yeah, I'd like to see that. As I think mm. one of the things going back sort of to the Everton game was I feel like we missed that one player in midfield at times who... You know, Jorginho looks up, he's looking for a pass, the pass isn't on. And I think if we've got that extra body in midfield, I think that would be the pass that should be on, that isn't on, because we don't have the body there. And I think Mason Mount isn't as effective in that front three. I just, I looked at him against Everton, some of the pre-season games going back to last season as well. Um, you know, he's back-to-back player of the season, wasn't he? But And he did play naturally most of those games in that front three. But I just think if we had him in midfield, maybe ideally in a 10 role, we don't we don't have that kind of formation. We don't play that kind of way of the football. But even in midfield, if we did do a 4-2-2-2-2, if he was just behind a, you know, Kai Havertz or just behind Raheem Sterling, just to feed that ball through, take on a player or do something different in midfield or bring the ball forward a bit. I think I think it would just make a, a massive difference. And I'm hoping we do we go back to a back four for this game mm. because it's worked in the past. I don't know why we would change it. I've, like you said, you know, Spurs have strengthened. And I think if we play a back, you know, the three centre-backs and the two wing-backs, I just think they're going to be isolated. They're not going to get forward. And, you know, they're not going to get high up the pitch, are they? They're going to be pushed back. We're going to be playing basically a back five it just limits what we can do. And I think if we've got that extra body in midfield, it might just give us a bit more security in, in the middle of the pitch mm. as well. And I, I'm pretty sure I said that in the um, the Carabao Cup last year, that the game will be won in midfield. I believe it will be in this game as well. I think we'll just mm. got to be ready for that battle. They've got some really good players. I think they're dark horses, not to win the league, but I think they can push Liverpool and City, unfortunately, all the way to the very end. I think they can. I think mm. they, Conte's a winner. And we, we know that from our Chelsea days with him but they've improved the squad massively and we've got to be ready for them on Sunday um, it's, it's going to be tough it's going to be a really tough game but um, we need to work on our just, corners there I was going to yeah, say I was just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, did, we, didn't, we didn't speak about that in the, when we were talking about Everton but I think I lost track of yeah, how many 16, corners we had 16 and 16 they were corners. all terrible I don't know if it was James or Mount taking them but they were atrocious. James, but why is James? Why is James on them? It should be made for me. It should be Mason Mount because he can actually. I think Reese James is slowly getting into that William territory when it comes to set pieces, where he just doesn't beat the first man. And I remember you was you was a very vocal person about William set pieces, but I just think um, I just think if it's not worked after the fifth or sixth, you know, corner, try something different. Yeah. Give someone else a go. Maybe do a short corner. Do something different because it's not working and. Um, yeah, I just think it's just we've got we've got to change something. I was going to ask you about Mendy, who um, 
even in the Everton game, there was a moment where I think it was Thiago Silva, I think it was Damari Gray. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ball, and you can see Thiago Silva almost saying to Mendy, look, I'm 37, nearly 38. <laughs> I'm not going to win this race. You need to come for this ball. And he just doesn't, he sort of came yeah. but hesitated and then sat back and allowed Thiago Silva to have that 1v1 with Damari Gray. And I just think, not to say that he's not a good goalkeeper, and we've spoke about him on here before, but, you know, is this a time where we kind of give Kepa an opportunity, maybe before, you know, if he does go elsewhere, uh, before the window shuts? But is this not an opportunity to maybe test to see if Kepa is that number one goalkeeper that we kind of almost said that he might be, you know, he's too good to be on the bench. Yeah, about Mendy, I picked that up too. There was that moment where, um, like, I don't know if it was a miscommunication with Silva or a bit of a, didn't have enough confidence to come out. And I think Silva ended up playing a really good block in, which took it for a corner. And there was another Mendy moment, yeah, where he kind of tried to catch it, flapped at it. And in the end, he pulled off a brilliant save after yeah, for, yeah. from Decore. Really good save. But, um, but he's still, yeah, another player, I think I'd put him in that Havertz and Pulisic bracket that really needs to step up this season. He really does need to step up. We saw at the start of last year when he was pulling some big saves, um, even at, I think, way to Brentford when he was man of the match and I lost track of how many saves he did. But second half of the season, I think his form really, really dipped. It really did dip. And there is chances, I think, this year where we will, we will need a second choice keeper, whether that be a midweek fixture, a League Cup fixture, a Champions League group stage fixture, quite far out abroad maybe. And that's when you'll need uh, your, your second choice keeper. And if he does step up and prove that he's, he's got that ability, which Kepa does now, then I think there's no harm in starting him in these big games like Spurs at home, like City away or those type of fixtures, because we're going to need a keeper that's got that confidence, that wants to prove to the, get the manager that he can play every week and also wants to be first choice for his country at the World Cup, which both keepers currently want to be. And I know Mendy's probably guaranteed first choice. Kepa's still not sure if he's going to get onto that plane to Qatar. So it's, I still think there's a lot of twists and turns in this transfer window too. And I think Kepa's going to be that one that maybe goes to a Lazio or a Napoli or one of those teams because I think they've lost both their keepers. And um, it will be interesting if Sarri does reunite with him at Lazio as well. So um, still a lot to see in this, this transfer window. Will be interesting, 100%. Mm. Um, we've got Selenina coming in. Selenina, uh, yeah. Nina was coming in um, January once the MLS has finished. So you'd assume, I would hope personally that Kepa stays until then. And then we, but like you've always said, you know, that's after World Cup, which kind of defeats the objects. But, you know, I'd lo love him to stay. I think he'd get enough game time, whether that's in the Cup or the Champions League before the World Cup. But, you know, it's down to the player's preference and, and does he want to be playing second fiddle to Mendy? But um, let's talk about transfers, seeing as we're on a sort of topic of that. Timo Werner. Big player leaving. Um, didn't really work for him at Chelsea, which is unfortunate. And um, I did sort of mention it in one of the YouTube videos. But what's your thoughts on Timo Werner leaving uh, on a permanent as well, which is quite surprising that we don't really do those kind of deals. It's normally a loan deal for a player like Timo Werner. I think like the reports indicated, there was some kind of fallout in Tuchel's office um, this summer. I think Werner wanted more game time and they came to like a disagreement. And I think there might have been a big argument that happened. And I think despite both being Germans, they didn't see eye to eye most of the time. Uh, I said last summer, I'd give him one more season to prove himself. And if I'm completely honest, last season, there he didn't really excel when he did when he was given opportunity, the opportunity. There was a couple of games, I think, in Madrid away, Southampton away in that April period where he was fantastic. And I was thinking to myself, if this is the Werner that we signed from Leipzig, then let him play every single game. But that was just a small purple patch and small 
small period. Um, clearly, I think the player wanted game time. He wanted to play regularly. He wanted to be in the manager's plans, which I don't think it happened with Tuchel. So, Gattel didn't work out because it was a he was a really likable player, really likable personality, quite quirky, um, and he did really work hard. And you could really tell he had a good relationship with the fans. But now, obviously, he's no longer a Chelsea player, so we can just wish him the best and hope he does what he has to do in Leipzig and has a good World Cup or, with Germany. I think he will. I think he'll go back to the Bundesliga and he'll he'll, he'll mm. hit that form that he did exactly before we signed him. You know, and I think he'll. I think coming to the Premier League sometimes you've got this added pressure, and I think he came with that added pressure. Um, you know, we were crying out for someone who could score goals. You know, people have probably gone on YouTube and watched what he did in the Bundesliga, and then he comes here and there's this added pressure for him to do so well straight away. Um, you know, there's a couple of times he missed sitters, and it felt like. Probably at times he was carrying the whole club on his back. You know, you think about some of the games he played in. Um, but he scored some vital goals and people forget how many goals. Um, I think I read in the Champions League, I think he's the top goal scorer and assists under Thomas Tuchel. Might have got that wrong, but I'm pretty sure yeah. I read that one night. Um, Another statistic I saw was every Champions League game he started for Chelsea. I think yeah. we never lost, something like that. He's... He's one of those players that honestly he puts a shift in and, and and I remember saying about Timo Werner, there's a lot of things that he does off the ball that sometimes goes unnoticed that you don't really pick up during the game or just because you potentially don't look at or analyse the, the the match that way. But there's a lot that he did off the ball, you know, certain runs that he would make, he wouldn't stop, you know, creating space for others as well. So I think it's a shame that he's gone on a permanent. I think it's the only thing that you know, I know a lot of people, I was probably one of them that wanted him out of the club at one point, but you know. He's still got a lot of development in it, in him, and I think you know it'd be a shame again to see him do a Mo Salah and become one of the world's best in a, in a couple of years. So um, another player that's gone is Malang Sar on loan, I think, to Monaco with an option, or I think it's a mandatory fee of ten million. Mm. I think I read. Um, good bit of business or bad bit of business? I mean, listen, last season I thought he was a decent squad player. He filled in when he had to fill in and off, more often than not he was scapegoated when things didn't go so well maybe because he didn't arrive with that ex- big price tag and he wasn't maybe that flashy player that a lot of other people wanted to to like but um, possibly a good bit of business especially now that we've got Koulibaly we've got Kukurella, we've got Levi Colwell who was just alone who will come back next season yeah, yeah. so um, yeah I'm, obviously there's a chance for him to do really well at Monaco and they make it permanent and then we again we end up with that Tamori, um, Salah, Lukaku, the Bruyne situation, but I've got a feeling it might not go down that way, and um, there could be some kind of clause that we're not aware of. He has to play a certain amount of games for them to make it permanent, which is often the case. I think Monaco did the same with Al Sharawi when he went there on yeah. loan, and they never actually ended up buying him because they just let it let him sit on the bench and not play. <laughs> so, um, but I know I do I do wish him the best, and I think they might have just missed out on Champions League Monaco, so maybe they're in the Europa League. So we'll get a good bit of European football as well. It's a fair shout. It's a fair shout. Let's talk about some incomings because we're still linked heavily with Wesley Fofana. Mm-hmm. Um, potentially going to be the, the world's most expensive central defender. So I read the other week. So um, talk to me about Wesley Fofana because I'm sort of, I was a bit on the fence initially um, when we were linked with him probably before the sanctions. And now that we've missed out on the leads, which I thought was probably our first primary target alongside um, Koulibaly, which we've got. But he has got Premier League experience, but for what is going to be in the region of 85 to 90 million, which is what Leicester, I think, are holding out for. 
would you welcome him to the club now that Malang Sar's gone for ninety million pounds? Mm. I mean, like you keep saying, it's it's these clubs know that we're desperate for players and centre backs, so they can afford to ask for that price. Unless there are a selling club, they've sold Mares for big money. They've sold Maguire for eighty million. They're drink looking water. to off drink water as well. <laughs> I forgot about him. Uh, Tillemans is another one they're trying to offload. I think with a year left on his contract, so I wouldn't be surprised if they get the eighty-five or ninety million. Um, obviously, you don't want to be that player that has that kind of label of being the most expensive centre back in the world, because with that comes the pressure of performing. And we saw with Mag- exactly we saw the Harry Maguire that often it doesn't work out and that pressure gets to your head. But um, I do think he's a good player. I think he's only had one full season in the Premier League because I think last year or the year before he suffered a really bad injury that kept him out for a very long period. So that being said, it's a lot of money for a player that's had one good season. And the same can be said about Kukurea. He was only with Brighton for one year and sixty-three million. Where you look at Timo Werner, who was the Bundesliga's one of the Bundesliga's top goal scorers, and we got him, I think, for 45, was it? Yeah, yeah. So it's this crazy kind of Premier League labels of when, when a player played well in the Premier League, clubs can just ask for ridiculous sums of money. So but then again, we we're desperate. We need that, we need a player, we need a player that can replace Asby in the next one or two years, replace Silver probably next summer. Kulibali as well is 31. He's probably got a, maybe three, four years left in him at, at the highest level. So yeah, from that perspective, the move doesn't make sense to go for a young, um, talented Premier League experienced player. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. A um, couple more. So we've got uh, Frankie De Jong, which is another player. That I'm, I'm getting a bit sick of this one, though, because it feels mm. very much like Dembele, Jules Koundé. Um, it feels a, it's, a, it's I'm filing it along those kind of transfers at the moment because we're, we're kind of not getting anywhere with it. Barca want him to go. He doesn't want to go. Um, I, I think just before we came on, and I said that I think Barcelona have sold more TV rights, so they've freed up a bit more money. That's potentially because I think they want Bernardo Silva from Man City as well. But what's your thoughts on De Jong? Because I, I mean, I don't personally think we need him. I don't think he's a player that screams out, we need a Frankie De Jong. We don't really need him. We've got midfielders already. Um, I know some people have said to me he can play CDM, which is brilliant. But what's your thoughts? So, I mean, it's just, it seems like a really inconvenient purchase. We both agreed on it in the last episode that it felt like it was the situation with Barcelona and the opportunity this window to really, like, Barcelona want to sell him. That was, that's pushing us to sign him. But realistically, we've got another year left of Jorginho and Kante. We've got Gilmore, who's still at the club. I don't know if we're looking to loan him out again or even if he's been given a squad number, but he's still there. We've got Chukuweka, I think I pronounced that right. And he seems to be in (laughs) (laughs) Carney, Carney. We've got Carney, and um, he seems to be in two course plans. He's been given a squad number, he's been training with the first team. So I think we're kind of covered this season for Bampadu as well. Yeah, we're we're covered when it comes to CDM and centre mid options. But if we do get him, just purely because on the fact that Jorginho and Kante have one more year. Maybe this is the window to get him where we can actually afford, for, afford him. Barcelona be willing to negotiate a decent fee with us. Um, you never know, maybe we'll, we'll end up re-signing Christensen on a free on Saturday as well because I'm reading and it's not going to happen, but he's going to be a free agent by the looks of it if um, they can't afford to register him and Kessie. But it's still definitely a business to still to be done at Barcelona, whether it's him or Bama Yang. Well, yeah, I mean... It, I- to tie it all in all together I mean we obviously know Marcus Alonso is is dying to go to fraud alone I don't know why <laughs> but, um, 
you know, he's dying to get there. I think Tosuko said today that he's definitely not going to be in the squad for Sunday. He's still trying to work out the the, the final parts of how they're going to pay for him to basically play or how they're going to register him. But um, to link that all together, because obviously we've just been talking about Frankie de Jong, Patrick Abameyang as well, could he be part of that deal to potentially get Marcus Alonso, you know, over the line? We'd, I think it, from what I read, I'm sure it's 10 million for Marcus Alonso, but maybe add in maybe a Patrick Abameyang for that as well. Um, I don't know how it would work, but in terms of Patrick Abameyang, Thomas Tuchel clearly from his press conference today is still a massive fan. He came out, he said he doesn't care about what happens off the pitch of Abameyang. He doesn't care what happens with Mikel Arteta. He doesn't care about the sort of, you know, the other side of Patrick Abameyang, the gold Lamborghini side of Patrick Abameyang. He's not bothered about that. He just cares what he does on the pitch and you know, he's never had an issue with him. So, I'm I'm leaning towards the side of I think we're going to get Patrick Aubameyang. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Tuchel clearly rates him. He rated Dembele from their, both those players when they were at Dortmund, and I think he's always praised them even since he left Dortmund, saying how fantastic trait, how well they they train, how how talented they are. It does look like Tuchel knows something that we don't know, and and with the Alonso and uh, the Aubameyang deal, it looks like Alonso wants to go to Barcelona and it looks like Aubameyang wants to leave because he wants to be first choice. And now that Lewandowski's there, Aubameyang will be out of the spotlight. He'll probably play the odd kind of cup game or come on, come off the bench, but I can't see the two of them playing together. So it kind of seems like there's something to be agreed between those two players. I think we never know what's going to happen with Freud Alona, like you called them, um, and how they get this money because they want silver from City. That's going to be a lot of money. 70 million uh, euros. 70 million. It's just, it doesn't really add up. I think it's because they put these big release clauses on these players. So in the in the in the balance sheet, it looks like they've got a, a really a really expensive asset that belongs to them. But um that's what they did. They they, mm-hmm. they basically cooked their own books and, and basically gave themselves an additional 150 million euros that didn't exist. Yeah. Um and Dembele's contract apparently is that messed up that I think he I, I didn't read the article this morning that someone sent me, but I think basically he gets paid 50 million euros out of the, the deal. So mm. it's just a mess. I mean, I, I don't understand why players are yeah. rushing to get there, to be honest. I, I don't really don't get it, but... Um, there'll, there'll be a Netflix show in a few years' time and how they kind of work this all out and a documentary and the investigation into the club or something like that. I'm looking forward to it as well. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to see that. But um, keeping it sort of in La Liga... I don't know if you got to see that Real Madrid won the Super Cup, which mm. actually was good news for us because Aiden Hazard has given us £20 million for winning the Super Cup. I don't know if he was aware of that, but part of his contract was, I think, if he, I think we got money when he, when they won the Champions League, but we got an additional £20 million because they won the Super Cup as well. So it's a bit more money for Todd to, to try and throw at Leicester for, uh, for Farno or maybe to lure uh, Patrick Aubameyang back to England but we, who knows who knows um, Theo been a pleasure as always mm-hmm. as always um, I know you're about to get out into the, the sun enjoy the 30 probably 35 degree heat by now um, in the sun so enjoy um, big game on Sunday before we wrap up give us a prediction I don't think we did that I'm going to go with 1-1 one, one. I'm going to I'm not going to do many draws this this, uh, this season so I'm going to go I'm going to go 2-1 Chelsea I think we'll. I think they'll score. I think, like you said earlier, mm-hmm. they'll score. But um, and uh, again, it depends how we play. But if we play with the four at the back, I think we can keep. I'd assume they might go for three, front three. 
Um, and if they do, then I think we, we need to play back, keep them quiet. But I think we'll score. I think Sterling's going to score because he looked very lively. And I'm going to go for Kulabali. Yeah. Bullet header. Reese James is not going to be on the corner. It's going to no. bounce him out. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, guys, if you're listening, watching, I can see a few of you watching as well. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Give us a like as well. Let us know your thoughts in the comments. Who would you start against Spurs on Sunday? What's the score going to be? Let us know. And also as well, you can see from the shed end and from the shed end, other corner, that's our Instagram and Twitter at the bottom. So make sure you go and follow those as well. Theo, go and enjoy the sunshine. you or whatever you're drinking or whatever you're doing but until next time stay safe everyone and let's hope for three points on sunday thanks for watching